anyway, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for giving us um, some of your obviously very precious time. So perhaps should we kick off by uh, maybe I can ask you what was the what do you think was the initial impact of the common European framework when it was first introduced, thinking primarily on the impact on teaching and learning? Thank you so much, Sue, and thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to take part in the series. Um, so just thinking kind of broadly on the original impact of the introduction of the framework, it was really the consolidation and I suppose unification of standards and of competencies across languages. And obviously today we're, we're going to be talking specifically about English, but generally the idea that we can verify and quantify learner abilities across a spectrum of languages was really, really significant. And that it led to, I suppose, a cohesive thinking in language teaching generally. And the idea that language teachers of different languages are able to follow the same frameworks, follow the same structure. And we can say with confidence that our learners are going to come out with the level of proficiency according to this very specific framework. So it, it guarantees quality really for the learner, but it also promotes quality for the teacher. So the teacher having something to adhere to, having a very clear set of guidelines, which has only become more clear and more developed as the CEFR, you know, as it has been got, as it has progressed through the years. So it's been an invaluable resource for teachers at a really strong indicator of quality for learners, I would say. Yes, I really like that that correlation you're meet, making between the CEFA and quality for teachers and also quality, you know, for learners in terms of um, their, their, their learning pathways, I suppose, really, isn't it? And um, and that common articulate, that common language that it's mm -hmm. provided. Yeah, those those are very good points. Thank you. Um, how do you think, I know you were just saying there, kind of referring to how it's developed over the years, what do you think are the key developments um, the CEFA, that the CEFA has sort of embodied in driving as a tool for effective language teaching and learning? I would say the, the primary development in more recent years has been the embracing of kind of communicative competence. Um, as a really important indicator of language ability, shifting away from the focus on grammatical accuracy or, you know, lexical range or lexical selection, you know, even the, the pronunciation indicators, all of those obviously are, are significant and do have an impact on learner, learner language development and language proficiency, but the learner is not, you know, a language producing automaton, they are interacting in society. So uh, I really like the use of the, the social agent. I think it's a terminology that's been used in the in the framework more recently, which is, I think, so significant. You know, the learner being guided by the teacher to use language in order to navigate social interactions, not only in speaking, but in writing as well. So that shift kind of, I suppose, a more humanistic look at the learner the learner as a person and what the what their language ability can do for them and what they can do in social interactions in all manner of social interactions and i think it really encompasses a wide variety the you know the the framework the competences allows a teacher to identify particular situations or particular areas of focus that learners might need to work on rather than just 
the grammatical points. And I think that's really, really significant. Yes, that, that's a very good, those are very good points, absolutely. And that idea of sort of um, learner agency is a really strong one, isn't it? I think that comes out a lot in the new companion or the relatively new 2018, I think it is, companion volume, um, which uh, which is um, just a, an amazing document altogether. Um, what kind of impact so you've talked about competences you've talked about this focus on the learner um, and sort of um, and this common language what sort of impact do you think it's had on classroom practice i think for the teacher it is at, at a base level it's a useful kind of minimum standard and it's a useful organize well for an, for an institute it's a useful organizational tool obviously you know um grouping students according to the best ability of their peers in order to be able to deliver the appropriate course for them so obviously there's that element of it for teachers i think the the minimum standards are what most teachers would be aware of i'm just thinking about the day-to-day -day, you know elt teacher in language schools at the moment. So for them, they are probably quite aware of uh, deficiencies of learners in line with the CEFR and some competencies, but they're not necessarily familiar with the, the range that we've just talked about, you know, the, the learner outside the grammatical or linguistic sphere, the learner in the social sphere. Um, so that's something I think that could be brought to bear a little bit more in the classroom, in in ELT schools, in the ELT classroom more generally, the yes, the range. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you you referred to communicative competences earlier. Um, would you like to say a bit more about them in terms of um, how the CEFR maybe sort of sees uh, the learner in as 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 um, as an agent for um, interaction and communication? Yeah, so in, in addition to kind of the learners, so the, the communicative language competence encompasses linguistic competence, pragmatic competence, which, you know, is in interacting in particular um, interactions, as well as the sociolinguistic competence. So the CEFR in its more recent iterations looks at appropriateness. So that is considered to be a significant feature and it's something that teachers do need to be aware of when they are dealing with learners in, you know, exposing them to particular examples and different interactions. But it's also talking about things like turn taking. It's talking about kind of cohesion and fluency. And this idea of fluency is one I think learners cling to with uh, with a misunderstanding of what that refers to. Uh, a lot of learners and many teachers believe it refers to speed, you know, kind of speed yeah. and accuracy. Yes. Whereas I think the, you know, the, the recent companion volume explains it very well. It's the learner's ability to draw on their linguistic resources with a minimum of kind of disruption or disfluencies. So the, the current, um, the current CEFR documents really highlight that at each of the levels. I think it's up to C1 and then C1 and C2 are the same, but kind of giving examples for teachers of what fluency looks like for learners of different uh, proficiency levels, which I think is an amazing development and it really it gets into such granular detail, you know, in particularly things like the pragmatic competence, developing ideas, focus on accuracy, but not exclusive focus on accuracy, because, you know, as we know, for communicative competence, you don't need to speak 
grammatically perfectly because very few people do, but it's about the control. So I think that's a huge idea that teachers could could be a little bit more aware of going forward. The idea that selection of appropriate Lexus, selection of appropriate vocabulary um, is just as important as being accurate or being correct, but also in terms of is this appropriate for this situation, for this conversation? Would I say this in the workplace? Would I say this, you know, out in the pub? All of those features are just as important for the learner in order to navigate their life via English, you know, in this case or whatever language that they choose. So those very, very granular details are massively important and definitely need to be explored as much as possible by teachers when they are considering learners according to their ability. Yes, that's such a good point. And, you know, when you when you think about language, second or third language learners, you know, moving into different cultures and trying to become part of that that group, um, appropriacy becomes so important, doesn't it, to um, ensure that they don't stand out and that they're not misunderstood. Absolutely. Um, how well applied do you think? How well applied yeah let's use that word how well applied do you think the CEFA is in your opinion in the um, English language education sector in particular? I think as I mentioned before it's you know as an organizational tool it is it is something that institutes absolutely rely on in order to group students in the most appropriate classroom for their needs and their abilities this is you know without this it would be very difficult to guarantee quality um, for the content students are receiving, for their interactions between their peers. So the the CEFR as as that kind of fundamental base is massively important. Students need to be grouped according to this framework in order for us to guarantee what we are delivering matches their abilities, but also everyone in the room as much as possible is on the same level just for themselves and obviously for the teacher as well. I think for learners, it can be a little bit, some learners can feel restricted by this, that they might feel, you know, I want I, need, I want to get this particular level, therefore I should be in that level group. So for learners, an understanding of this effort, a deeper understanding of this effort might be useful in terms of, you know, why you, why you need to be placed in A2 now in order for you to get to B2 in the future, um, because obviously this understanding is very clear from the school's point of view and from the teacher's point of view. But for the learner, obviously they might feel, well, if you put me in B2 and I work really, really hard, that's we know that's not how that works. We know that's not possible. Um, so for the learner to be in their appropriate level and for them to understand, OK, no, this is just difficult enough for me at the moment and I can see myself progressing and that they have something to progress to. So that's really, really significant. Um, so kind of aligning the learners' expectations with what the teachers know and what the institutes know and are able to do is is something I think that could could improve. But that's that's often down to learners and their their dedication and their ambitiousness, you know, to yeah, to I, always be I, better. I know what you're saying, and of course, when you're putting, you know, groups of individuals into you know, the B1 class or the B1 plus class or whatever it is, that's always going to be, you're always going to have that 
array of differences within that group, aren't you? That's um, that's got to be understood. I mean, I suspect when learners look at the framework, they just see they see it like a ladder. Yeah. You know, and, and why wouldn't they really without kind of um, understanding it better? Because it's kind of it, it looks like a scale. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. or it can be um, illustrated that way. Yes. OK. What What do you think you've kind of touched on some of those points already, I guess. But what, what do you think you'd like to see in terms of um, how the CEFR becomes a more um, integral part of learning and teaching in language education? Is there anything that you think could be um, further developed to improve how the CEFR is um, explicitly used, perhaps? I would say, well, exposure and awareness is is the number one thing. I think a lot of teachers would have a very baseline awareness of the CEFR, perhaps from their own language learning, you know, in, in other contexts or just a lot of the time it's associated with where students are or what, you know, what course, what course book I'm teaching. You know, I'm teaching the upper intermediate book, so that's that's B2. There's also a, an issue there in that, you know, the the CEFR is interpreted differently by different publications and different publishers. So B2 for one publisher may not be the same as B2 for another publisher. And a lot of teachers are not aware of that. So the idea that instead of focusing on kind of the the name, you know, the name of the scale or the name of the point on the scale, that the teachers should be more aware of the competences within it. And I know it's it's asking a lot for teachers to go into the very, very deep level that we've been talking about in terms of, you know, like the plurilingual competences and, and all of those things that the CEFR includes now. But I, I do believe teachers should have an awareness of the, the framework itself, the competences of the framework and not explicitly associated with materials. I, I think I think there should be a, a for teachers and in teacher training, there should be a, a separation of that because of that interpretation. It's like closed sizes, you know, a size 10 is not the same in every shop. Um, kind of a, a similar idea with with the CEFR, um, with the scale, because it it is interpreted slightly differently and each book would take a different tack. So I suppose reliance on materials for to provide that information for teachers is not sufficient. It definitely needs to come in at a continuous professional development level. So that's hugely important. I, I think teachers do need to have regular input sessions, you know, um, on developments because it, it is a major factor in the field. It is a major guiding framework that we refer to all the time, you know, multiple times a day. It's, it's in use constantly. So teachers pre-service and in-service need to have access to information and mediated information you know that as i said we can't expect them to go through the near you know 350 odd pages of the document yes. they're yeah. they're so busy as we know um so if as much as possible this information needs to be filtered down from school management you know at individual teacher trainer level if schools have access to that but definitely the regular input in bite-sized chunks i would say on different aspects of the CEFR. I think that would be a huge advantage and would really, again, just I, I keep going back to quality, but I think it would be a real enhancing factor for quality 
for teachers to be able to have that information in their back pocket and then to make decisions in their classroom. You know, so if they're teaching an A2 group to have that real knowledge, you can apply that at an individual level. So giving feedback to learners, you know, assigning, developing their own materials in obviously materials should be de developed in line with the SEFR principles. So for teachers to be able to have that information, just the, the possibilities from that, you can really see them rippling out what teachers will then be able to do on a very practical level. And, you know, even informing, keeping each other informed, keeping each other kind of on track. If you're teaching multiple levels, to distinguish between those levels on a very clear basis is massively useful. So I think um, a stronger kind of practical understanding of the SEFR for teachers would be massively, massively beneficial. I really like your idea of sort of bite-sized chunks and it being mediated in terms of what they need and what would be useful for them in terms of, you know, good classroom practice. And equally, and I think, as you mentioned before as well, that correlation with quality. I think that's that's absolutely key. And of course, it's going to be quality in terms of your teaching mm -hmm. and therefore quality in terms of effective learning. And, you know, it's all going to, you know, it's going to be a win 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 situation for everybody involved, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I really. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those insights with us. Is there anything you'd like to say or anything um, that strikes you in particular to do with learners? Because, of course, learners, particularly if they're coming to Ireland, are coming from a vast array of different uh, backgrounds. So learner kind of learner awareness of the suffer or? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think um, as, as I mentioned before, learner, the learner awareness of the SEFR can often be very limited to like a progressive, like a target, I yes, suppose. Just as, kind of going up the ladder. Yeah, as yeah, you mentioned, yeah. like a ladder and it's something that, you know, that they need to achieve in order to get X, Y, Z. Yeah. Obviously, there's, you know, there's a lot of extrinsic motivations that that drive learners. Um, and yeah. I, I think the fact that the SEFR is used um, in the marking schemes of, you know, a lot of the, the standardised exams. Um, that's both a positive and negative for learners because quite often they're thinking I need to achieve these, you know, these certain attributes in order to achieve this. But again, I think it's it's really beneficial for for learners. And then this this should be enhanced by teachers as much as possible for learners to be able to focus on their own competences within the framework. So for them to say, OK, I'm B1, that doesn't mean I'm worse than B2. It means I can do this, I can do that. So the the structure of the can do statements, um, which I think were a really key part of looking at the SEFR framework in a really learner centred manner. Um, and I know we can't condense every single band on the SEFR to to one statement, but for learners to be made aware, this is what I am able to do. So it, it can work as a motivating force for them. It can be a real developer for learner autonomy. So Absolutely. for learners to be able to see, you know, I am at B1, being at B1 is very, very good because I can do this, this, this and this, and not always to be thinking forward. And I know we want them to think forward in a broader sense, but for learners to understand there is so much that they are able to do 
within the level that they are set. Because as we mentioned before, you know, some learners can be very determined. I want to start at X level and can resist the idea that it's not necessarily the best level for them. But for learners to to have that exposure and this is something that teachers can do on a weekly level, even, you know, beginning or the end of the week, because quite a lot of the time a curriculum can be broken down into weekly corresponding can do statements. Um, I know a lot of schools do that and it's something that's very useful. So, you know, in your weekly objectives, make a point for the teacher to make a point to highlight to learners. This is what we are going to be able to do by the end of the week and to check in at the end of the week so learners can see, you know, they might be in B1 for six months. You know, sometimes it does happen, but for learners to see, even though I'm in B1 for six, I, this is all I have done and I have achieved these many goals and I have reached these many competences and attributes and these are all the things I can do. That's I just that reminder I for learners. Agree with you. Yeah, I think that's, you know, there's the traditionally, you know, it's always about you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, yeah. I want to be able to do, rather than, as you say, just, uh, okay, that's where you know where you want to, you know where you want to go, your pathway, so to speak, but talking about what you have achieved, what you are able to do, I, I think that's extreme, you know, very positive, and it's sort of positive reinforcement, isn't it, for the, for the learners themselves, in terms of motivating them and making them feel that they are, you know, um, effective language learners, I, I, I suspect anyway. And, and I really like your point about, you know, moving, which you made earlier about moving away from being obsessed with accuracy mm -hmm. as opposed to getting your message across. Yeah, I think but those are both key points. Um, is there anything you'd like to add, Jane, do you think? Do you think there's anything um, or anything that you see further developing in the future, perhaps? I think um, one thing kind of for for teachers that that we haven't really talked about is the research that has been done with the CEPR uh, for language teaching and learning. So uh, we have resources like the English grammar profile and the English vocabulary yeah, profile. Very true, yes. And you know, and the, the British Council, the common inventory. Yeah, yeah, so all of these resources that that are freely available um, and are absolutely excellent that are based in Learn, they're data driven, they're based in learner data. So for, for teachers to be able to very quickly log on to something like the EVP or, or the EGP to say, OK, I want to teach this particular lexical item or this particular grammatical item, or I want to develop, you know, I talked about materials development before, I want to develop something on this and then to, re to see, OK, this is not something that learners of this level are noted for saying at all, maybe that wouldn't be appropriate. So going back to the idea of teachers getting a strong awareness of what the levels, not only what they entail on a theoretical basis, but on a on a data led and evidence based understanding of the CEPHR and what it actually looks like in practice. So learners actually. And therefore they can kind of extract yeah. from that and build it into their own practice. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it, it has been it is very much not just a, you know, a, a theoretical concept or something that we use, you know, just just in order to group students, which I think a lot of teachers might misunderstand the purpose of the CEPHR in that way. You know, it's it's also an excellent resource for furthering our understanding of learner, uh, learner linguistic ability, learner communicative ability, varying features of of learner language, you know, at a really granular level. So those 
there there are resources that teachers can very easily avail of and they're they're absolutely fascinating you could get lost in them you know which which is an amazing thing to say about um data driven learning <laughs> that that you can just get lost in it but i think those those are things that teachers, you know, if they have the time and if they have the inclination, if they're looking to to learn more about it and, you know, that school managers and school kind of school administration can guide teachers towards this information just to really help them understand on a practical level what they can do with this and, yeah. and how it can yeah. be implemented. And all of that is really going to embed an almost SEPA driven culture, isn't it, in the sort of teaching and learning ethos of an organisation. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? And highlighting it through what you've been talking about, your the ongoing professional development, the sort of almost the learner training element as yeah. well, which is going to um, yeah, really put yeah. the SEPA in a central position. Because I, I agree with you, I think sometimes some, particularly when it's, you know, the label on a test or it's the label on a course book, it almost becomes, uh, it's it sort of vicariously interpreted through those tests or through mm -hmm. those course books rather than really understood in a, in you know, in a real sense. Like and, a bottom up um, approach kind of to what, what does this rather than top down B2 is exactly, XYZ, yes. bottom up, I, I, I you know. I think assessment because they, I think they were probably all those public exam writers and companies were probably one of the first to take the SEPA and kind of mm -hmm. match it, use it almost as a marketing tool. And, and, um, and that was on the one hand, probably a good thing. It kind of improved their practice and understanding of progress and what they meant by it and how that what their tests would reflect. But on the other hand, it also confused people and possibly wasn't done that well. Mm. It has to be done, but kind of, you know, scientifically, that sort of scientific alignment. Yeah. Thanks, Jane, very much. It's been great Thank talking to you. so much, Sue. And it's been a pleasure. You. Yes, you too. <laughs> and listen, good best of luck with everything and uh, um, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a million. It's been a pleasure. Bye bye now.